1: Hi, my name's Mara. This episode of the Radioactive Show is a repeat of a show that originally went to air in August 2020. It was produced by Emma Crunch and features interviews with two organisers for peace, Annette Brownlee of the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network, IPAN, and Margie Beavis from the Medical Association for the Prevention of War. Annette speaks about RIMPAC 2020, which is the rim of the Pacific military exercises. She also introduces us to the IPAN Inquiry. Margie critiques Australia's increased defence spending, exploring why it remains unchallenged.
2: Hello, I'm Emma Crunch. Today's radioactive show has been produced on the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people. I give my respect to Wurundjeri elders past and present. This show discusses so-called Australia's involvement in military exercises and war, I'd like to trouble the very concept of Australia as a legitimate political entity. This land was taken without consent, and there is no treaty. Yet, the political entity of Australia still holds significant power and is necessarily a part of conversations critiquing the Australian nation-states, military alliances, and defence spending. So with that in mind, this week I'm bringing you interviews with two organisers for peace, Annette Brownling of the Independent and Peaceful Australia Network, or IPAN, and Margie Beavis from the Medical Association for the Prevention of War, or MAPWA. I began by speaking with Annette about RIMPAC 2020, which is the rim of the Pacific military exercises, currently being held in Hawaiian waters, despite strong protests from people across Pacific nations. We'll jump in midway to my conversation with Annette, she is speaking about the importance of building relationships across the Pacific in resisting RIMPAC and other military expansions. And, um, and
0: IPAN, um, in our brief, really, when we said IPAN up, was about connecting people um, and particularly in the region in which we live, obviously, it's mostly a, a peace and independence organisation concentrating on Australia, but Australia in relation to the uh, area of the world in which we live Mm -hmm. and connecting people, not organisations, not militaries, not governments, but connecting people who share um, our concerns for a a more sustainable, just and peaceful life ahead. (laughs) Mm.
2: Yeah, I think that's um, that seems like a powerful mission because it's often... You know even the way that it's touted that a a nation is going to war or a nation is hosting these um military exercises that often doesn't actually reflect reflect the feeling of the people who are there and yet it is hard to have people connect in the way that you know governments and corporations are connecting and organizing together
0: there's nothing more powerful and Um, You know, knowing people personally, developing relationships, friendships, um, having a better understanding of the place where that person lives. I mean, as a result of the conferences IPAN has held, we've we've had good connections with with Guam, uh, Japan, South Korea. uh, And I, I hope that through the work of the Pacific Peace Network, we'll develop... Stronger and closer connections with um, many of the other countries in the big blue Pacific. Mm. Mm.
2: Thanks, Annette. Um, how do you see, uh, like, what is the posturing of exercises like RIMPAC, I guess, in terms of um, military strategy, and what do you think, um, how do you think we can counter Australia's role? in, well, we I guess, yeah.
0: Very hard to get Australia to pull out. And this year, of course, with COVID, there was a very good reason for those exercises to be canceled full stop because of the threat of cross infection. However, despite lots of letters to Linda Reynolds, the Minister for Defence and many phone calls, um, lots of engagement from our members. Um, they've still sent five vessels to uh, Hawaiian waters those five vessels travelled from the South China Sea where they engaged in exercises with the United States provoking China. Uh, then they went on to Japan where they exercised with the Japanese Navy and then they went over to the Hawaiian waters and joined the 10 other nations that are participating. 25 nations participated in 2018, so it's a, quite a significant drop-off uh, and Australia should have been one of those countries that did not go, mm. um, you know, primarily because of COVID, but also I think we should be looking at ending our engagement in these exercises that are effectively practicing for war with China. There is no other named enemy; mm. it is about China, and that should be, you know, clear to everybody.
2: Yeah, and that was um. Formerly, China was involved in those exercises, but that was retracted by the US, I believe. So that's even more indicative that
0: that's the case. Yes. And um, sure, you wonder, you know, yes, it would make a difference if there were exercises where China was included. That would obviously be a much healthier situation. But nevertheless, they are exercises for war, Mm. and surely Energy should be going into um, exercises for dealing with climate change and pandemics and uh, poverty and and disparity in people's lives. So yeah, absolutely. You know, all the money you can imagine the amount of money that's been spent by Australia <laughs> in in the past month. Mm.
2: Yeah, and i will be it'll be good to speak to Maggie about that as well in a couple of days. Um, yeah, that's right.
0: Uh, she's quite an expert on. Uh, she's done a lot of research on how our our budget, taxpayers' dollars, are being spent on military activity.
2: Mm. Um. Okay. Thanks, Annette. I I did check out. I went onto the IPAN website and had a look at the inquiry. Do you want to just give perhaps outline the IPAN inquiry okay. and yeah, tell us a bit about that.
0: Yeah, the um, the IPAN inquiry is designed to allow and encourage discussion and debate within the Australian community about our close relationship with the United States. That's ultimately what it's about. But the spin-off will be at the end a report on the inquiry that we hope will um, be utilized in powers that govern us um, in academia and as a platform for building more information in the future because as far as I have been able to ascertain there hasn't been a community-led inquiry uh, before into the alliance with the United States mm. and you know the overwhelming propaganda that we get is how important this alliance is it's you know it's been there for a hundred years well it hasn't been there for a hundred years. That's just a lie. And um, <laughs> and and we have this, you know, propaganda really that is convincing Australians that we are a vulnerable nation prone to invasion. Um, we are the ones that invaded the country, the white people anyway, mm. and um, that we need this big and powerful nation. It's, it's, it's basically a nation, a superpower that's in decline and that is provoking... Uh, um the rising country in the region, China, uh, to the point where we could end up going to war, and that would be a nuclear war we 've got to really imagine just
3: and
0: know just what that means the costs and consequences of uh, a war in our area in the world are uh, just unthinkable so the you know the inquiry really is designed to engage people primarily about this these matters,
2: yeah. That definitely seems like a mm. important line of inquiry, and hopefully one that just doesn't get picked up enough, as exposing mm-hmm. some of the costs of that alliance. And as you say, I mean, absolutely devastating, unthinkable prospect of war with China. Um, well, thanks, Annette. I think uh, I'm wondering if uh listeners there's ways for them to follow up on some of IPAN's work, or are you are you having a 2020 conference or
0: No, we have our conferences every two years now. So we are going to launch the inquiry uh, in November. The details of the inquiry and how people can put submissions in uh, regarding the Alliance uh, are on our website, which Mm -hmm. no doubt you have. Uh, So... encourage anybody that's listening to get in touch with us if they'd like to help out with the inquiry because ultimately it depends on being able to talk to as many sectors of the community as possible. Whether Mm we go to P&Cs in schools, um, to student groups, universities, unions, workplaces, uh, that's where we like to have as many people as possible um, go out and talk to those people in those areas Mm. to engage them and get them thinking but also get them putting in submissions to the inquiry
2: you're listening to the radioactive show that was annette brownley chairperson of ipan the independent and peaceful australia network check out their website at ipan and get involved in the IPAN inquiry which will be launching later this year. Next we'll hear from Margie Beavis of the Medical Association for Prevention of War. Hi, I'm joined by Margie Beavis and thanks for joining us on The Radioactive Show, Margie. Could you begin by great, um, perhaps outlining the purpose of uh, MAPWA and your involvement in the organisation?
3: MAPWA, which is a pretty horrible acronym, (laughs) um, is the Medical Association for Prevention of War. It's been going for about 40 years in Australia, not quite. I think 40 years is next year. Um, And basically we are working to try and reduce the number of times Australia goes to war and sort of prioritise the fact that war fundamentally is the reverse of development. It makes people sick, our soldiers, it destroys societies. Um, And really with uh, good diplomacy, um, constructive use of foreign aid, a lot can be done to reduce the risk of conflict. Um, For example, at the moment, Australia is caught between America and China, Mm. and yet we have such strong relationships with both, we should be working really hard to reduce tensions in this area, and yet politically it's currently um, convenient to um, try and ramp up tensions.
2: Mm. And um, you've written recently about some of this context and particularly Australia's continued... Unabated defence spending. Um, could you briefly outline for us what this commitment to ongoing defence spending currently looks like by the Australian sure. government?
3: um Defence is um, thought to be politically popular, and it's no coincidence that the latest massive increase was announced three days before the Eden-Monaro by-election. So, on just before the Eden-Monaro by-election, uh, Prime Minister Morrison announced that defence spending would be 270 billion over the next decade. And this came from a defence white paper. Well, in actual fact, it's not 270 billion. If you look at the defence white paper, the total defence expenditure is 575 billion, which is a huge ramping up of Australia's defence spending. A really massive and um, one of the many risks of this is that we spark a regional arms race Mm. Um, not to mention all the other things we could be spending this money on. When you think about it, it's a billion dollars a week for the next 10 years, and that's an yeah. absolutely extraordinary amount of money.
2: It's kind of an inconceivable amount of money, really. Um, and so rather than... So what you're saying is that you think Australia's neighbours and in the region will will be really aware of these announcements and it might, rather than even just being a middle player, really cause other, um, other nations to feel that they need to come up to that um, that it's a act of sort of aggression. Um, that's a... Well, certainly
3: installing missiles um, mm. in Darwin is a pretty aggressive manoeuvre, and the Americans have been wanting to put missiles in Darwin for a very long time, so now we're doing it for them. The thing that I suppose underpins this is stepping back a little and working out what makes Australia safer, mm. what makes Australians more secure. And... Massive defence spending may in fact have the counter uh, impact in that by raising tensions in our region, we may in fact become less safe rather than more safe, particularly given that some of the defence material that we're choosing is not really suited to defending Australia.
2: Mm, absolutely, and I am um, looking at your article. Um, that was published in the Canberra Times in July, I thought you did raise these questions really, these really important questions, which some of them in that article to quote, you said, why is our burgeoning military budget sacrosanct? Why is there so little public debate about this massive budget expenditure? Are opposition politicians simply too scared to be labelled weak and is it actually making us more secure? And I guess, yeah, I think they're really powerful questions. Um, But also what... What are the answers to these? Why is it that it seems that um, defence spending is not seen as available money to other services or it's just taken as a bit of a given, this huge amount of money that will go um, go to defence in various projects like you're saying. I mean, there's, I mean, there's the submarines and it's hard to keep track of um, just as a layperson following all these different all this different spending. Um, yeah, what what do you think from your uh, time working in this area, what what reason do you have any answers to these questions about why why it is hard to examine this?
3: I think the underpinning uh, two principles, one would be fear, if you make people afraid um, they will agree to almost anything and um, And the other is complexity, Mm. that um, defence spending and defence budgets, I'm not against having a defence force, I'm not against having defence spending. What I am concerned about is that it seems to have got completely out of hand um, in terms of the amount and the choices we're making. And this comes on a background where in Australia there's increasing um, concern about, the amount of money that's sloshing around canberra i mean there is a lot of concern about undue influence the weapons companies are very uh successful lobbyists Our donation system of the 150 odd million that went to the liberals last election more than half of it is so opaque we will never find out where it's come from hmm. so in terms of i suppose that comes down to the choices of, of weapons but also um It was interesting when there's been recently some jobs lost in the Department of Foreign Affairs, some some diplomatic jobs lost. And when DFAT, the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, sort of complained about this, they were told that they hadn't made a good enough case for their own budget. Well, it's entirely inappropriate for government departments to have to advocate for their own budget. It suggests to me that there are other advocates in other areas that are are uh, pushing extremely hard to have their budget increased. And we need more diplomats. Money spent on diplomacy is so much uh, more cost-effective than much money spent on really enormous weapons projects. It's much harder to see. It's much harder to sell for the electorate. It's much harder to win elections with. But we should be spending a lot more money on diplomacy. We should be... Our, our foreign aid budget is a disgrace. We are at... Um, of a percent of, so that's 20 cents out of every hundred dollars. And the recommendation is less than a third of what the OECD countries should be giving. And we keep cutting this and cutting this and um, it's damaging really important and useful projects that save a lot of lives overseas.
2: Hmm, Thanks. I guess, yeah, also, like, at the Radioactive show, we, you know, we cover different struggles for sovereignty within Australia, like Aboriginal nations and groups within Australia, and um, when we talk about defence spending, it all also seems to be hinged on this idea of Australian sovereignty. Um, Yeah, I guess I just wanted to raise the limits, the limits within the debate where, you know, alternate ideas... perhaps what our sovereignty is or people connecting across borders in different ways than just clearly through um, the nation states as they currently stand not sure how this is a question (laughs) I think it's just a thought around um, the limits perhaps also of the UN system and the Security Council and those interactions between governments who then have corporations in their back pocket rather than you know what people perhaps justice on the ground or for the land would look like?
3: I think the UN is deeply flawed, but it is also by far and away the best um, multilateral body that we have. And I think certainly the players bring their own agendas to the United Nations, but nonetheless some terrific um, and really important work comes out of the United Nations. And I I speak... (laughs) I'm involved with ICANN, the international campaign to abolish nuclear weapons, and the treaty to abolish nuclear weapons is about to come into force. Yeah. We have we needed 50 countries to sign and ratify this treaty and we're up to 44 and we're really excited about this because once this treaty comes into force, then with six more countries, then... um we wait 90 days and then it actually becomes international law and what that means is that nuclear weapons are finally placed on the same legal footing as chemical weapons and biological weapons. What that means is that all the um, superannuation funds, and most of your listeners will be unaware that their superannuation is almost, the vast majority of superannuation companies' funds in Australia, actually have funds in nuclear weapons companies. What will happen is this will become, assisting nuclear weapons companies will become illegal. Mm-hmm. And um, MAPW, um, combining with ICANN, we have another campaign, mm-hmm. of which I'm also involved, called Quit Nukes. And what we're doing is we're talking to um, fund managers about do they actually realise that they've got investments in nuclear weapons, companies like Boeing and Airbus, along with Lockheed Martin and Thales and north of Grumman, about 20 others, but talking to them about getting their money out of nuclear weapons because it's absolutely critical that these weapons companies lose their social licence, that they lose their ability to get money, that governments such as Australia stop pretending that hiding behind an American uh, nuclear weapons system is okay. I mean, mm. I can't imagine being Australia being proud to be hiding behind a chemical weapons umbrella nor to be hiding behind... Um, a biological weapons umbrella, and yet nuclear weapons are much worse than both chemical weapons and biological weapons. Hmm. So I suppose whilst I agree the UN is not ideal, it certainly um, has, still has um, the ability to reframe how people think about important issues.
2: Mm, thanks. Yeah, I think that um, that sort of international norm-setting role has been really valuable um, and that Mapwire campaign sounds interesting. I'd be interested to be a fly on the wall as you have these discussions with these companies, because we did in a recent radioactive show also show just how enmeshed. I mean, not always with nuclear necessarily, but definitely in the military-industrial complex. Such as some mesh some of these companies we don't consider to necessarily be involved are like, for example, Amazon is starting to um, is vying for a military con- contract in the U.S., suing the government. About that. Um, so yeah, that sounds like really important work, and to really delegitimize nuclear weapons, it's hard to believe seventy-five years after Hiroshima that yeah that they are still seen as a as one of the options. I guess. Mm. Um, I'm wondering if there are examples of uh, countries that are scaling down or demilitarising or, you know, trying to take a different tack in terms of looking at what their security and wellbeing is that we could hold out as examples?
3: Oh, I think if you looked at most of the Nordic countries, um, they certainly prioritise um, sort of genuine citizen security over military spending. Um, Cuba, and I think uh, i think it's Costa Rica, which doesn't even have a military. Which, I mean, if you look at those countries, You can see that the um, priorities are for actually making the people that live in that country more secure in a more genuine way. I mean, here in Australia, um, we have more than in 2018 we had more than three million people below the poverty line, and over 700,000 of those were children. Um, Most were deeply in poverty, more than $135 a week below the poverty line, Um, and New Start was at a rate where people couldn't afford to go and get jobs because they were so so um, i mean most of the new start would go on their rent and then they'd have no money or very little money for anything. Yeah. Um, so when you look at what the alternative spending is, um, it's really important to recognize that if you're spending a billion dollars a week on the military, the federal budget isn't a magic pudding um, it it's it's cutting really important. Programs that mean people do feel more secure. Uh, another example would be housing. Um, for the last 25 years, successive governments, Labor and Liberal, have not invested in public housing. Um, we're short by about 400,000 houses. Um, we have over 100,000 homeless in the last census. And to be building um, inordinately, ex- outrageously expensive submarines, but not enough houses. Um, sort of people say they're not a trade off. Well, sorry, if, if the submarines are going to cost us $225 billion over the, their lifetime, and it's going to cost $5 billion. I, I think $5 billion a year to get public housing. For If you, if you put $5 billion a year into public housing for mm. the next 15 years, we could make up the shortfall. But instead, we have enormous amounts of homelessness and we're also planning to build a submarine that is potentially going to be obsolete by the time it's launched. Mm. So it's, 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 it's sort of, we need more, I, I'm not saying we don't need a submarine, I'm just saying that the one we've chosen is so outrageously expensive that there's a lot of other things that um, Australians are missing out on.
2: Mm. Thanks, Maggie. Yeah, I think I would question whether we need a submarine. I, but, um, but, yeah. It's yeah I, I'm not a defence analyst. so I, yeah, I, yeah,
3: yeah. I, um, I, but the one we've chosen is just outrageous.
2: Yeah. And it's very stark when you put it like that. And also in this, these, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, I, it's been made even more clear to us the value of, our healthcare system and the need for public housing and strong education and all these basic needs for our society's well wellbeing um, and for people to live, you know, decent lives, um, that I guess we hope that this is perhaps opening up space for these discussions or to really raise some of these questions in people's minds. Um, would you refer us to anything, um, any work in particular, uh, how listeners could follow the work you're doing, or try and raise these uh, questions among their friends and family?
3: I had not been asked that question before. I to think about that. <laughs> if they want to work with the Quit Nukes stuff and talk to the superannuation company about whether their superannuation has nuclear weapons in it, we'd really welcome that, and they can go to the Quit Nukes website.
2: Okay, well, thanks, Margie. I think that's been, um, that's been a really interesting discussion and thanks for joining us again on Thank the Radioactive you. Show.
3: <laughs> My pleasure. Thank you.
2: <laughs> that was Margie Beavis and earlier we heard from Annette Brownlee. Check out both their organisations, IPAN and MAPWA, in particular the IPAN Inquiry, which asks the question, What are the costs and consequences of Australia's involvement in US-led wars? Another site to follow up is the Quit Nukes campaign, seeking to get superannuation companies out of involvement in nuclear weapons funding. The Radioactive Show is produced for 3CR Community Radio and broadcast nationally on the Community Radio Network. Thanks to the ACE Collective of Friends of the Earth for their ongoing support of our show find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au under Radioactive Show. Music on today's show has been Idue Fiumi by Ludovico Unati. I'm Emma Crunch, thanks for listening and here's to a nuclear-free future.
1: The Radioactive Show team will be taking a bit of a break over summer. Through January, tune into the Radioactive Show to listen to Yellowcake Country, a five-part series exploring the local, national, and international impacts of Australia's uranium industry. Yellowcake Country was coordinated by our friends at the Conservation Council of Western Australia.